don't want them prematurely declaring victory once they get these relief wells done. The reality is we want all that oil to be out of our water. We want their commitment to restoring our coast, to addressing the mental health issues, to getting our people Welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I am Robert Smith. Today is Friday, July 30th, and that was Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal. And on today's show, we're going to go to Bobby Jindal country. We're going to the Gulf of Mexico to look at the oil spill from an economic perspective. Specifically, we are going to use the principles of contingent valuation to calculate the environmental damages to the species Pelicanus occidentalis. In other words, we are going to put a price on a pelican. And then we're going to send BP the Pelican Bill. Oh, boy, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I should just get that out of the way. Yeah. All right. No more bad puns. Or maybe just one or two. All right. Let's first do the Planet Money Indicator. Today's Planet Money Indicator is 2.4%. Ooh, sounds good. Well... As usual, we take something that could be seen as good news and explain why it's bad news. So the government revealed today that uh, second quarter 2010 GDP, all the money that American citizens and government and businesses spent between April and June of this year, had grown at an annualized rate of 2.4%. Growth is good. Growth is generally seen as positive. When you're coming out of a recession, it means more people working, salaries going up, people consuming more. But... 2.4% in normal times would be seen as close to what they call trend growth, average growth for the United States. But when you come out of a shrinking, out of a recession, the growth really needs to be much higher, 5%, 6% to make up for that lost ground. So I'd say the vast majority of people looking at this number are quite disappointed that we have only grown by 2.4%. Another depressing indicator from Planet Money. Now, on a later podcast or a deep read, we are going to be talking with Bill McKibben, the environmental writer, who is going to argue that planet money should not necessarily be sad when growth is slow or happy when growth is fast. We're going to get into that later. But first, right now, today, let's get on to the business of the pelican. Yes. Now, this has been bugging me since I was down in the Gulf covering the oil spill for NPR. You know, BP has spent more than $4 billion on all of the costs associated with the spill and the cleanup so far. But mostly it's been human costs. When you look at the bill, it's out-of-work shrimpers, paying cleanup crews, playing oil workers who are out of a job. And as I was looking at this list, I was wondering, where's the wildlife? You know, where's the line item for the turtles and the dolphins and the birds? Like, how much do we charge BP for the death of a pelican? Now, governments actually do this all the time. They figure out what nature is worth when some large corporation has done something to damage nature so that the government can figure out how much to make the company pay for that damage. But as we'll see in this podcast, the process is damn hard. Just to test it out, I traveled to our nearest flock of pelicans here in New York City. That's the Bronx Zoo. And I met Ted Bregg, who comes to the zoo every week to photograph birds, and he loves the pelicans. They're just beautiful, and they're easily photographed. They almost pose for you. Yeah, now the pelicans are... Be- Some people say they're kind of clunky looking, but do you find... Well, they are clunky looking, but they're, you know, uh, not everybody is uh, tall and, you know, graceful. You know, they have their beauty. If you could pay a certain amount of money and have those birds come back to life, let's say, how much would, uh, be, no how much would be your share? Because it can't be done. All the money in the world won't bring them back. 
And Adam, this is the first answer just about everybody gives when you ask them about the value of a pelican. And this is one of the reasons why it's so hard is this emotional hurdle. A pelican is priceless. But here's what I find so frustrating about that view. I mean, I certainly understand the sentiment. How can you put a crass price on something as... You are not God. Right. As lovely as a pelican. But here's the thing. If you're saying that a pelican is worth all the money in the world, that has the same effect as saying pelicans are free, kill as many as you want. Because saying it's all the money in the world, it's infinite. You can't really give a bill to BP saying, here, pay us all the money in the world, pay us infinite dollars. It has the same effect of saying, here's a bill for nothing. Don't pay us anything. So sort of strangely, if you really love pelicans, possibly the best thing you can do to help them out is to put a price on them, a specific price, a dollar and cents price. Okay. So job one is to find somebody spending money on a pelican. And I actually found somebody in Hammond, Louisiana. Jay Holcomb is with the International Bird Rescue Research Center, and he runs a facility filled with people who are giving up their valuable time and careers, have traveled to Louisiana, and are cleaning oil off of birds. I think we're demonstrating that their their value is in the fact that they're alive. They have a right to being here like we do, and we cause something that we have to take responsibility for. So Jay is in the infinite value camp. But, you know, Jay also runs a nonprofit organization. So, you know, you can convince him to talk about budgets and trade-offs. And usually he works in California. And his organization often has to make tough decisions about how many animals they can treat and still stay within their budget. And so he came up with a price, a general price on what it costs to save one pelican. What we've done is we say, okay, so the pelicans usually come in with these problems and and we kind of average it what it costs to take care of a pelican. It's an average number. And we're saying 500 bucks is about it. Now, from an economic perspective, this strongly implies that whatever the value of a pelican is, it has to be more than $500 because that's how much you're willing to spend just yeah. to rehabilitate one. So yeah. I didn't make that leap, but yes, I guess you could say that. Well, it's, it's, it's just like having a used car, right? Uh, you don't want to spend more on fixing it than it's actually worth. So I assume that that applies to pelicans. Yeah, it's kind of. So, Adam, I'm, I'm a little proud. Can we say that $500 is the minimum value for a pelican? See, I don't like this number. I'm sorry, Robert. I know you worked hard to find a guy who actually spent money on a pelican to find out the price of a pelican. But what you did is you found one of the most fanatic pelican lovers in America, someone who's willing to devote his entire life to saving pelicans and other wildlife, and you asked that person how much a pelican is worth. So let's say you have an old Ford Fairlane that, whose blue book value is $3,000. You could find someone, maybe it's uh, Jay Leno, I don't know, some really rich collector who's obsessed with Ford Fairlanes who'd be willing to pay $10 million for your Ford Fairlane. But Prices are determined in a marketplace with buyers and sellers. There's a tension that is required. You, you, you can't just go to the most fanatic guy and say, how okay. much would you pay? Okay, I get it. Okay. I needed to look for a market. Now, the problem is I literally could not find one. eBay, Craigslist, biological supply houses, you cannot buy a pelican. And it turns out there's a reason for this. You will go to jail if you start a pelican market. Let me read this. This is from Federal Law. It is illegal to offer for sale, sell, offer to purchase, purchase, deliver for shipment, ship, cause to be shipped, deliver for transportation, transport, cause to be transported, carry, or cause to be carried by any means, any migratory bird. Wow. Okay. So the main tool that we have in our system to find a price on something, a market, is 
non-existent. But, Robert, you told me that you actually did find, even with this very harsh, no selling of Pelican's Law, you did find a Pelican marketplace. I did. Hollywood. I am going to present you with a rate sheet for the rental of a trained movie Pelican. This is ridiculous. $4,500 a day for a Pelican. That is yep. a lot more than I make. And... uh $1,500 a day if you just want a sitting pelican, you know, kind of like you sitting around. All right. So those numbers are completely insane. Yes, but you have not seen the movie Flipper. Listen to this. What's the matter, Pete? That is the sound of Pete the Pelican in the movie Flipper. I know it seems like a lot, but, you know, we talked to an animal trainer, Mark Jackson, and he says, you aren't just paying for the bird. You're paying for an icon. The way they fly, the way they fish, I mean, they're just evolutionarily speaking, they're incredible animal. And usually you only see things like that in a pristine environment. To me, it says, when you see pelicans flying free, things are good. It's symbolic of nature. It's symbolic of... A healthy nature. Yeah, yeah. And that's worth paying for, for a movie producer. Absolutely. Anything they want is worth paying for. So here's my plan B. I uh, shot down the first one. My idea now is that I take the day rate of a pelican, I multiply it by the number of days it works, and there you go. Total value of a pelican. Theoretically, it could make you, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It, it, you could. I mean, that chances are it's not going to, but if you got on a big, long feature, you know, every two or three years and that bird lived 15 years, potential earnings is, is you know, a lot of money. The $100,000 pelican. Actually, Robert, you are totally wrong for several different reasons. So first of all, the reason I don't like this particular method of valuation is when economists or finance people look at a future stream of income and decide what is that worth today, what what today is the likelihood of making $4,500 a day for years to come, you do something called a net present value valuation, which is always a much smaller number than, than the big number. Like when someone wins $100 million in the lottery, but they get $6 million today, uh, th that's the kind of calculation. So the 100000 is 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 way too high. But second of all, the, the movie producers are paying for a service. They're paying for the trainer and all the time that they trained this particular yeah, the pelican. Food, the, the lodging, food, the, the lodging. safety. Yeah. They're not just paying for any random pelican. So if we want to find out what is the value of a random pelican in the Gulf of Mexico, it's going to be a lot less than the well-trained pelican with a trainer on the Hollywood set. See, this whole time I've been thinking that what I am personally worth is based on the rate sheet for Tom Cruise. My point, exactly. Okay, listen, um, I do have something that I think will finally convince you because it comes with your favorite thing in the world, an economist. Now we're going to get to what we talked about at the top of the show, the contingent valuation. So this is a theory that some resources may not have a price tag, but they're valuable to so many people that you can figure out what they're worth by basically talking to people. So under this theory, a wild pelican can actually be worth more than the Tom Cruise Hollywood version of the pelican because a wild pelican has 300 million, full number, owners. If you say they can belong to anyone, they belong to all Americans. So even if a pelican is only worth a few cents to me and 
maybe one cent to you. You multiply that by 300 million people, and you have a pricey bird. Right. And you, you actually got all excited, brought me into the studio so that we could both talk to this economist who, who was one of the early pioneers of this way of thinking. His name's Gardner Brown. He's a professor emeritus of economics at the University of Washington. And Professor Brown is famous. I mean, he's kind of famous in this field for coming up with the value of a wild duck. And I love this. His price tag for a duck, $30. The 30-buck duck. He did it in a way that's, that's a little controversial in economics. He used a survey. He asked questions of the people who are closest to wild ducks, which happens to be hunters. I asked them how much they would be willing to pay for one more duck. So if you could walk home with 12 ducks instead of 11 ducks, how much would you slip some guy money under the table? Or be willing to pay to change the harvest regulations. But Professor Brown, how can you trust people to know these things? I mean, you you ask them about a duck, maybe they've never thought about it in their life, and they just pick a number out of the air, and that becomes the value of the duck? Well, that's that's a standard uh, attack on this. But what you when you design these surveys, you if you do them well and you can afford it, you set up um, questions to make sure to test to see whether people are behaving in a rational way. Now, why not actually try and set up markets? Why not go to where hunters are and and set up a stand that says, "What with wait wait with a duck and like here's no, a well, gun and a how permit. much are you going to pay to shoot this duck?" You can't you, do you that. You could say like, "Oh, we're selling permits for one more duck." You guys have been reading the literature. You're clever. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Adam. I meant to edit out that last part. You know, the part where he says, "You're clever." All right, <laughs> but aside from the fact that he was flattering us, which which I did like, I I, I have a an, an instinctive distrust of this survey method. Now, let, let's, Big surprise. Let, let's leave aside the fact that in the duck survey, he was surveying hunters to, to kill ducks, and we're talking about the price of keeping a pelican alive. That's, that's a separate issue. You can handle that with the math. Right. But the prices and value in, in economic terms is determined in a marketplace. There is a tension between buyer and seller, and there's a real-world cost. If, if I want to pay... 30 bucks to shoot that duck, which I would never want to do, I don't have that 30 bucks to buy a really nice lunch or a bottle of wine or whatever it might be. And I have to actually pay a cost. But in a survey, if someone just comes up and says, how much would you pay for such and such? There's no dynamic. There's no, there's no price I'm paying. I just don't trust that number. I feel like surveys are not a great way to find out the value of things. Yeah. I probably should have talked to you before I went, did a survey. Um, you remember at the beginning of the podcast, I went to the Bronx Zoo. Well, I, I, I had a mission. I was going to go and get the definitive value of a pelican. I was going to take the Professor Brown method. I was going to talk to people, ask them the right question, and become famous in the world of contingent valuation for being the man who figured out how much a pelican was worth. And you make an excellent point, because when I actually talked to people, you could see them struggling with how to place this in their real-world understanding of how much they would pay for things. The numbers I got were all over the place. 200 dead pelicans back to life. How much would we contribute on that? I would contribute our vinyl siding account, which is maybe around $10,000. $1,000 I would pay. <laughs> I would pay a dollar, for sure. Yeah, it's not a lot. A dollar? $10,000? Really? He's going to pay $10,000? This is what is referred to as volatility in the pelican market. 
I, I actually think it's referred to as just a very badly designed survey. Yeah, I did that much Because I will say that Gardner-Brown surveys probably had less variation than that. But from what we have learned this week, a lot of government agencies have realized that this survey method does bring in lots and lots of seemingly arbitrary numbers. And so they're actually moving away from the survey approach. Yeah, I, I was getting desperate, mostly because you were shooting out all my ideas. And I didn't know how I was going to come up with the final price tag. I wanted to give a final price for a Pelican. And then I discovered something. Like, I am not alone. This isn't just my own personal mission. In fact, there is somebody else trying to value a Pelican. Nerda. So there's another nerd trying to value Pelicans? Yeah, yeah very funny. Nerda. N-R-D-A. The National Resource Damage Assessment. It's the process that the federal government uses to put a cost on wildlife. I mean, there are guys, nerda guys, who are out in boats everywhere figuring out what's been killed and figuring out how much that's going to be worth. So I called up one of these nerda guys, and I was totally excited. I described what we've been doing, and he told me I've been going about this completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, certainly not how we try to value natural resources today in, in our process. Roger Helm is the chief of environmental quality for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And he's actually very nice when he was smacking me down. He said that the U.S. government used to do what I was doing back in the old Superfund days. They would do exactly what I did. They would figure out all these little tricks to find out the price of an animal. People would actually try to look up values of organisms uh, in in biological supply catalogs and say, well, you killed, you know, 42 fish and they're, let me see, let me check page 17. Ah, they're 27 cents each or something of that nature. It wasn't really so good with birds because they didn't have the um, number of birds uh, in the species. Was there ever sort of a philosophical reluctance to, to, to see that in black and white, um, what an animal is worth in dollars and cents? Oh, absolutely. When we were doing this, when I first started this back um, after the Exxon Valdez spill and people were telling me this is how the process had, had worked, it, you know, it sort of gives you the, makes you just feel very uncomfortable um, in valuing these organisms this way. And of course, it just really fell apart anyway as you got into any depth to it. So now we learned the U.S. government is going about valuing wildlife, like in the in the BP spill, in a completely opposite direction. Instead of looking at what the company did and putting a dollar value on each animal killed, they're just saying to the company, hey, you got rid of a bunch of wildlife? You got to bring back a bunch of wildlife. You have to physically replace the habitat or create a situation where there are more baby pelicans born or somehow prevent other pelicans from dying. You have to basically bring the numbers of pelicans back up to the original level. If they kill 47 pelicans, they owe the public 47 pelicans. So they have to pay you to do whatever it takes to get those, say, 47 pelicans back. They are responsible to make the public whole. So when I ask you, how much is a pelican worth that died in the BP oil spill? My answer is, that is worth one pelican. One pelican. And the price for a turtle is a new turtle. And a dolphin's equivalent to a dolphin. Now, I got to say, Adam... You have doubted this whole thing, but you have to admit there is a certain elegance here because there is a price. The company, BP in this case, will have to pay a price, but not for the animal itself, for basically making right what went wrong. I got to say, Robert, I, I find that my economic training leads me to love and hate this solution. And, <laughs> well, at least and there's a little love this time. Yeah, there is some love. So so the love part is you you are pushing BP and, and, and the and the system to, to move towards actual markets. So if they say 
okay, we killed 47 pelicans or 200 pelicans, but we can shore up this barrier island and create a nesting habitat for pelicans. And that means there will be more than 200 new pelicans that wouldn't have existed otherwise. And they can actually price the cost of the equipment and the time and the services to to improve that barrier island. You know, you're talking about real prices and 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 it makes sense it, it they might look at five different options and choose the most efficient effective option and and, and that all makes a lot of sense to me the part of the solution I'm, i feel really uncomfortable with is it's back to sort of infinitely valuing pelicans because what if bp looks at all the ways you could save pelicans and finds there are no cheap ways. It's really, really expensive. And it's going to cost millions and millions of dollars per pelican. Now, I don't think you're going to find too many people who care that much if BP has to pay a lot of money. But I think most people in our society would agree that spending hundreds of millions of dollars to save a couple hundred pelicans is probably not the best use of that money. So, so again, I feel like we're back to having sort of an arbitrary price to pelicans. No, absolutely. I mean, there's no question that this can get very, very expensive, but you have to go through this process. There are dead pelicans. There is a responsible party, and you have to go through the process to put even an arbitrary price. Trying to get a fair price is better than having no price at all. And where there's no market, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to go through all of these objections you've said, but at the end of the day, You've got to put a number down, and you've got to go with the best shot you have. And so far, I think a pelican is worth a pelican is about the best shot they got. And what I do agree with is if you don't do this, if you don't come up with an arbitrary price, then a pelican is free, and then it's free to kill pelicans, and we'll end up with a lot more dead pelicans. There you go. If you'd like to know more about the field of contingent valuation, you can read more of Professor Gardner-Brown's work on our website, npr.org slash money. And while you're there, welcome our new blogger, at least our temporary blogger, Sarah McBride. She's in for a few weeks while Jacob Goldstein is out. I'm Robert Smith. I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening.